Thank you all so much for joining me. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We ask that you please allow your word to resonate in our hearts. Please let us retain your word. Let us apply what we need to apply. Lord God, we ask that you just please just intervene on our behalf, whatever it takes for us to fulfill your plan, will, and purpose. God, we ask that you please orchestrate it in our lives. Please, God, allow us to be more obedient to you by keeping our hearts softened and melted for you. Show us the things that we need to see so that we can be obedient to you, God, and follow you in righteousness. God, all, as always, please allow us to see things from your perspective and not our own. We want to see things and hear things the way that you see and perceive them, not the way that we perceive or understand them, God. Show us your perspective and your understanding so that we're able to make wise choices and decisions that is prompted us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can make wise decisions and choices in every single situation and circumstance, no matter what they may be, God. So we ask that you please maneuver us exactly where we need to be so that we're positioned and pivoted exactly in that in the order that you have called us to be god you have called and chosen us and so we just ask that you just please allow your will to be done in our life and i thank you so much for the holy spirit so holy spirit thank you for filling me up and leading me and guiding me i just pray that you please lead me in this discussion so that i'm able to discuss everything that i need to today please don't let me forget anything and also allow us to just you know, be open and transparent to your word, God, in a way where we can see exactly what it is you're showing us. Don't let us be deceived about anything, God. And just please, Lord, just um, we ask for your favor in your sight. And, you know, we ask to provide you with joy, at least, or at the bare minimum. Let us do things that gives you joy and create joy from us, God. We want to please you. And also satisfy your will and, and your purpose in our life. So, God, please allow your will to be done. Not our will or anyone else's, but yours. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. Hi, everybody. Thank you all so much for joining me today on Laws, Life, and Health. Let's talk about it. So, um, today I'm still talking about women's health again. Okay. Yesterday, I believe I left off with a video from Emma McAdam. Um, where she talked about the value of being honest and faithful, um, how uh, our pure emotions sort of serve a function in a way that it motivates um, repair, right? So healing requires us being able to talk to another person. That was from um, Dr. S uh, I believe it was Dr. Stetler or, uh, or Sletter or something like that. So... Um, I'm really interested in, you know, just discussing this more today. I wanted to continue on in the discussion of um, shame and guilt, specifically as it pertains to um, some of the things that I said yesterday. Okay, so I wanted to clarify um, and just make sure that I am providing accurate information. And so I don't want anyone to be misinformed or um, misinterpret anything that I'm saying at all. So it's essential that I am giving you all the right information according to what the word of God says. And so I wanted to go over a few scriptures here, specifically those scriptures that, about um, 
the scriptures that, that talks about shame. So let me just pull this up here. I have so many tabs open on my computer. I'm sorry about this. Uh, just give me one moment while I get it together. Okay. All right, here we go. So, all right. So um, I posted the scripture, Romans 10 and 11. And this is where I kind of left off last night talking about Romans chapter 10 and verse 11. It says, as the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And so what this means is that God will never, ever let us be put to shame. So let's look at the, the preceding verses before that. So it talks about, let's start at, um, let's start at verse uh, nine um, or let's start at verse eight. And then we'll look at to verse 11. So in, in uh, Romans 10, chapter eight, Romans chapter 10, verse eight through 11, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So what this means is that the faith that is already in you is there, right? Um. So when you make a mistake, all we really simply need to do is revert back to our faith. We need to go back to the faith and be able to trust God in a way where we're depending on him. So it, it, regardless of what our situation may look like or feel like, we are not supposed to let our feelings interfere with the faith that with the faith that we have with God. So I, I would like everyone to write this down and, and kind of remember this, this part here. So do not let your feelings, do not let feelings, um, do not let feelings get in the way of your faith. Um, I want to talk about this too in in the book of Genesis, I think I, I kind of forgot to mention this before now, um, beforehand, but we notice um, in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve that when Eve actually ate from the tree, she was her being enticed, basically her being drawn to eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was a feeling that she she had. um felt right so this is something that was birthed inside of her at that moment it was a feeling so feelings is something that got into play here with adam and eve so we we should not let our feelings get in the way of our faith in god so she thought that the um tree was um pleasurable right it was it was pleasing to the eye she also said that she thought it was um, good for uh, gaining wisdom, right? She thought. So these thoughts that led her to feeling these things came from a, a feeling that she had. So I wanted to kind of look at um, the definition of what feeling is. So a feeling is sometimes a sensation experience um, through like a physical sense, right? Or a touch or um or it could be an experience through touch it also can be a um a thing or a situation right meaning um like a sensation or emotional state a sentiment a belief or quality of awareness so that awareness basically if we if we dive deeper into that word study and understand what that fully means it means that she was actually she was drawing Pretty much most of her emotions and actions were driven by her feelings. 
So we, we understand that feeling is associated with person, thing, or situation. That means that you have this emotional state or this belief and also uh, this sort of quality of awareness that is taking place in her mind. And um, so our feeling is something that sometimes we should not let it be our driving force. Um, so I've noticed, I noticed this a long, long time ago when I should have, I should have been mentioned this about uh, Adam and Eve when feelings became in, into play, right? These feelings of what you may think is right, um, you know, that's an emotional state. So she thought that it was pleasing to her eye and then she thought that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. Desires, right? These are all emotional type of uh, state of awareness or or, or uh, feelings. So our feelings can, what? Feelings, when your feelings, and I'm going to say feelings again because it's so important for us to understand that feelings if your feelings are your driving force then you're not going to be able to be successful so what we should have is the ability to allow god to sort of lead us in his righteousness through the way that we um trust in the lord and our trust comes from the faith that we produce in God. So when we're looking here in verse 8. Romans 10 verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So the faith that God has given you is already in you. So regardless of whatever you're going through. It isn't about what you think it may be. See your, your thoughts can contradict what God is saying. Your thoughts, for instance, we see that Eve thoughts contradicted what God wanted her to do, right? Her thoughts, her thoughts are inspired by what? Her feelings. So your feelings create this emotional state and it starts with what? Your beliefs. It starts with your beliefs. So your feelings can contradict what God really wants for you. So, for instance, you have faith in God, but your thoughts are telling you that, no, you need to look at this situation that you're going through. Think about how your husband cheated on you. Think about that. Think about these things. Set your mind on this. Like, it's your thoughts are the driving force for your feelings. So don't allow feelings to navigate your life because feelings will contradict God's word. So it isn't about the way you feel. It isn't about like, it, yes, the situation can very well be very bad in your life right now. And yes, people are going through a lot of adversities, and a lot of problems. They have a lot of concerns about the way their life is. And if it's not you, you have maybe have concerns about the lives of other people that you know. Everyone is going through something, either directly or indirectly. We know people that are experiencing 
these sort of hardships, right? So when feelings contradict what God is saying, because your feelings will tell you, no, 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 this is what, this hurts right now. My feelings are hurt right now. I can't stop thinking about, you know, my spouse cheating on me. These are feelings that are driving you. So your, your thoughts are driving your feelings. And so you want to not be allowing your feelings to sort of dictate your pace and control your life. And the way that we do that, let's let's finish reading here. Um, Romans 10 and verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, it's just that simple. So we know that the word of God is near us and is in our mouth and in our heart. All we need to do is speak it. And we need to believe it. We need to also believe that what? We need to believe in our heart that God raised him, that God raised Jesus from the dead, and we will be saved. In verse 10, it says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. See, with our mouth, we speak blessings and curses. With our mouth, we speak hope and doubts. With our mouth, we speak defeat and we speak life. So with the same mouth that you speak life, like, okay, I know I'm going to get this job. That's speaking life to the situation. Well, I know my kids are going to do good. I have no doubt in my mind because I trust in the Lord, my God. My God is going to protect them because he's already told me in Isaiah 53 and 5. So in verse 11, it says, as the scriptures say, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And so just understand that once you've already you've already professed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead. So you're saved just by that. And so it is your heart allows you to be justified. So if you're if you're continuing on and you're avoiding the conviction that comes along with the with the shame and guilt. And I'm not just saying any type of shame and guilt. It's, we, no, we should not be holding on to just shame and guilt for anything. What I'm specifically saying here is that shame and guilt allows you to be influenced to repent. So if we're making decisions and choices in our life and it doesn't lead us to repentance then that means that you you have the ability to continue on in your sin. So for me, like if, when I make these mistakes I, and it's like, OK, well, you know, I'm trying so hard. And then it's like, OK, so you may think it's OK to just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. But in actuality, it's not OK. So God doesn't want us to keep having these repeated failures. It shouldn't be the same repeated failures over and over again. Once once we made this mistake, okay, now it's time for us to say, you know, I've learned from this. God, I need your Holy Spirit. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit, God. Don't allow me to keep making the same mistakes, God. Help me. Prevent me from making those mistakes by intervening in my life. Show me exactly what I'm doing wrong, God, and lead me in the path of righteousness. 
So God will never let us be put to shame to anybody in this world. So even if even if when you think about like um let's let's look at I want to I want to go to another scripture. Um For instance, when we see the word uh, hold on. I need to pull up this this other Bible verse and then I was trying to pull up the Strong's Concordance too. So, um Okay, so there is a couple scriptures here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and 2. And um Oops. Let's go to Ephesians 4 and 2. And then I want to go to uh, James 4 and 10. Let's go to James 4 and 10. Why is, I don't know why it's doing this to me. Uh, hold on one second, please. I just had this other scripture up. <laughs> I said Ephesians 4 and verse 2. Okay. Let's pull this up. Okay. So this says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one with, bearing with one another in love. Let's look at this full chapter here, though. Um, In verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to have one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. That this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So what we see here is that being, um, let's let's look at, I want to look at the Strong's Concordance, okay? And so let me go to the Strong's Concordance. There's so many things that I have to, let's look at the Strong's Concordance. Okay. And now we're going to look at humility. Um, I think it's humility or humble. I think one of these here actually um, references shame. But for me to be sure, I need to make sure I'm giving everyone the right information. So let's look at... think it is okay humiliation of mine okay so when we look at strong's number 5012 so this would be in colossians 2 and 18 let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he has not seen Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Fleshly mind, mind you. Okay, so we have this 
Strong's number 5012, which is pronounced Tapinarusone. Uh, Tapinuf. I'm sorry. Tapinuf Rusune. Tapinuf Rusune. Rusune. Tapinuf Rusune. That's the way you say it. Tapinuf Rusune. That's the way I said, okay? And so it's Strong's number 5012. And basically it means the humiliation of the mind, modesty, humbleness of mind, humility of mind, loneliness of mind, right? So this is all about, so like humility, humility is about, you know, having this sort of kind of like loneliness in your mind like you feel a certain way like this humiliation of your mind so it doesn't say feel so i'm gonna scratch that i didn't mean to say feel but you you're you're sensing this humiliation of your mind and you're having this humbleness of your mind and so i want to look at the word humility and also the word humbleness okay humble so <coughs> humility is the quality or condition of being humble is the character of like um humble is to have like freedom from pride and arrogance lowliness of mind a low estimate of one's self abasement right the act of submission so we have this humility which gives us the opportunity to submit ourselves unto god and so when we have humility of the mind it also allows us to have um you know, this shame sort of attached to it in a way it's like, okay, I did wrong. I did wrong in this sin. So this fornication that that I that I did, that that was wrong, God. And so anytime you do anything, like if we go back to the book of Genesis, for instance, if we go back to Genesis and we see um the response of Adam and Eve. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the snake, the serpent. So they don't take any accountability or ownership for their actions. When God is walking in the garden, they're hiding from God. They are not walking up to God saying, you know, God, I made a mistake. They, they, they didn't hide from God because they were uh, ashamed of them being disobedient no they hid from god because they were afraid because they were naked it wasn't because they felt bad for being disobedient you know when when god asked adam a question because god was looking for adam in the garden he wasn't looking for the woman he he put the man in charge and so he he calling god was calling adam so let's look at this let's look at um this this uh verse here well let's go to genesis um genesis chapter chapter two and and so we see i want to look at the yeah the niv version here so we see that now they're in the garden and no, we're gonna go to Genesis. I think it's chapter three. Genesis chapter three. Right. So we're we're in Genesis three. And we see that the serpent is entertaining the woman. 
But if we fast forward down a little bit, we see that in verse um in verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? See, God called Adam. He didn't call the woman. This is in verse 9. Genesis 3 verse 9. Verse 10, it says, he answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So his response isn't God. You know, I made a mistake. I'm wrong. He, do he doesn't feel shame. He doesn't feel guilt. At least not for his actions. He's only afraid because he was naked. But he's been naked the whole time in the garden. So this is a, a new a new type of feeling. So being afraid is a feeling. Okay, we're going to look up this word afraid. Let's look up the word afraid here. So the word afraid is filled with fear or frightening. Frightened. Having feelings of aversion or unwillingness in regard to something. See, feelings. Once again, I already just talked about this. Feelings contradicts God's word. So we see afraid is a feeling of aversion. Aversion, right? You have this uh, feeling of uh, unwillingness uh, to something. Your unwillingness to regard, regard to something. So he's unwilling to talk to God about his disobedience. But it's okay for him to hide from God because he's afraid. So afraid, being afraid is a feeling. And once again, feelings do what? They contradict God's word. So we see that Adam, he's not repenting for what he's done. He's not going to God saying, God, I made a mistake. I, God, we ate from the tree and should not have. We shouldn't have eaten from the tree, but we did. No, 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 no. Instead, they're hiding. Lack of accountability, lack of ownership. Feelings are introduced through fear. There is no shame and no guilt for his actions. And so in verse 11, we see, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So see, God is God. And so he knows the answer to this question. But God is still asking him this question. You know, how far will this man go at telling God the truth? How far will he go at telling God the truth? So in verse 12, he says, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So he didn't answer the question about who told him that he was naked. That was something that he ignored. So he ignored the shame that should have been attached to his disobedience. He also ignored the guilt that was, should have been associated with his disobedience. 
So we see here that now he's ignoring God because he don't answer the question that God is asked. God said, who told you that you were naked? He's responding, look, the woman you put here, she gave me the fruit and I, from the tree and I ate it. He never answers the question that God is asking him either. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? The woman said, a serpent deceived me and I ate. Deceived. Let's see what deceived is. Let's look at the word deceived. Um, According to the dictionary, the word deceived is to cause to believe what is not true or mislead. So we see that fear, deception, and feelings. So feelings, fear, and deception came into play. We see all of this from what verse? We see this from verse 10 until verse 13. Feelings, fear, deception. Feeling, fear, and deception. That's what took place here. That's what happened. So in verse 14, so the Lord God says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You would crawl in your belly and you would eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Separation, basically. Separation meaning that the woman will no longer be listening to the serpent. The serpent will no longer be listening to the woman. But now we have to think about the offsprings. The offsprings of both. So, um, I was reading. I'm in this group. And it's called... Let me look this group up. I forgot the name. Um, I'm in, I'm in so many different groups. Uh, so, it's called... Um, gospel, I think it's, is it called gospel messages? Let me see here. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. So it's called gospel messages. And so I was reading, there's this guy, basically what he was, he wrote a complete article about this. And he said that the woman and the serpent Offsprings, meaning that the the serpent seed was brought into play here at the beginning of where Adam and Eve. And so the seed, meaning here that uh, when God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, that means that Satan's seeds and the woman's offsprings are always going to clash. He will crush her head and you will strike his heel. So there were, will always be conflict between Satan's seeds and the woman's seeds. Why? Because now you have good seeds and you have evil seeds that are being created. So that's what that's, that means in verse 15. And so when we think about all of this here, we see that feeling, fear, and deception entered into the minds of Adam and Eve. They avoided shame because they didn't feel any. And they also didn't um, have any guilt because several different times here, they were hiding from God. They 
he ignored God and the woman blamed the serpent. So the man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent. So clearly they wanted it to be the serpent's fault and not theirs. So we see a lack of accountability and a lack of ownership. So feelings, fear, deception, lack of accountability, lack of ownership. There is no indication that they felt guilty. The, the main guilt that they felt was to blame the next person. So you now you see blame. So you, you have all of these different conditions that are taking place. The first is feelings. She felt that it was desirable for knowledge. Fear. They hid from God because they were afraid. Because they were naked. Feelings of aversion. Feelings of, you know, fear. Deception. The serpent deceived her. Blame. Blame to the serpent. No one's fault but, but the serpent's. Lack of accountability and lack of ownership. So all of those characteristics are things that we as children of God need to identify if we are engaging in with any of that type of stuff. Those are the five things. Feelings. Feelings that are leading you. How are your, what are your feelings leading you to believe? What is the feelings of fear, basically? You know, like you're having these feelings of this and, oh, it's desirable. Oh, I'm afraid. Oh, this and that. All of these feelings are driving you. Why? Deception. How are you deceived? How are you being deceived from believing in God? What are your burning questions that you have for God? Because if you, I have questions every single day for God. Every day. Every day. And I pray to God every single day of my life. And I still ask God questions every single day. I asked some guy, I can't, I don't, I really didn't understand how that just happened. Why did that just happen? Oh God, why did he just say that? Oh God, please tell me exactly what I need to pray for. Please tell me. So like if I pray every day and I make mistakes. We all do, because we all fall in short of God, the glory of God. So, if you're not asking God questions, then that means you're deceived about something. So, it all goes back to Adam and Eve, and this is not... This is not hard to see. They lacked accountability. They lacked ownership. They blamed each other. OK. 
okay? They let feelings drive them and they were deceived. They ignored the question that God asked them. So how are you ignoring God? How are you being deceived from listening to God and communicating with him? It's like, look, sometimes I find myself when I make a mistake and it's like, oh, I need to get back into my reality with the Lord because see my spirituality and my relationship with God, my walk with Christ, that's my reality. All this other stuff is not is meaningless. So that's the way it is start. And so I identified through the power of the Holy Spirit is that we need to feel shame and guilt when we are doing things that are associated with being evil. If you go and steal, do you not feel convicted or bad about that in your heart? So if you don't feel guilty about stealing, that means you'll go steal again. If you don't feel shame about gossiping about people, then that means you, you're going to go and gossip every single day if you can. Because you don't see anything wrong with it. If you don't see anything wrong with fornication, like we're going to continue to fornicate every single day until you realize that that's not the right thing to do. So it isn't about, oh, okay, so you believe in God. Believing in God does not mean that I am without a fleshly body. We all have flesh. We are all coated in the skin. Because inside of us are living souls. They are also living spirit. We have a living spirit on the inside of us. And we are coated in skin. So depending on what spirit you are allowing in your life, you can have a spirit of deception. A spirit of blame. Uh, a spirit of a lack of accountability and um, ownership. It's like scapegoating. You want to just blame everybody for everything. See, it's so important as children of God for us to know that God wants us to take ownership and accountability. We are supposed to respond to God when he's speaking to us. And through our obedience is how we respond to God. And then sometimes it could be difficult if other forces are driving our motivations. So I want to talk about quite a few different things here. So we see that from Genesis 3 on from Genesis chapter 3 from verse 8. Through 13, we see feelings, deception, 
blame, lack of ownership and accountability, and also um, deception. So this is what we see. And so what is it that we can, what can you do about these things? So I wanted to go over a few things. Actually, um, I found this very, very nice PowerPoint. I would love to share this PowerPoint, but my, it's like the, the blog, it, it keeps like preventing me from uploading more information. Um, but I would love to share this. This is a, such a nice PowerPoint. And so this is, um, I got this PowerPoint from, let me show you all. Um, it's called fits the, uh, it's, it's just called, it's actually just called guilt. That's all I see at the top of it. But if you, we go all the way down, um, it's actually called, it's a slideshow from Chucho 1943. I don't know who really created this slideshow, but they have it on the internet and it was so nice. And I just wanted to share it. So I want to go over this slideshow. It talks about guilt. Um, I'm assuming that there are other lessons because this is lesson five. Um, so what it says, I'm just going to look at it and just sort of gain. Um, uh, I'm going to do some commentating in layman's terms. So according to the dictionary, guilt is basically like the fear, the feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense, crime or wrong that you have done. So when we look at Adam and Eve, the origin of it, we, we see that the feeling of guilt began with the first sin. The consequences. The consequences are, they say shame, fear, and sadness. Man hides from God. Guilt produces negative physical and uh, physio, uh, physiological reactions. And so you see that what he's saying, they they have shame and fear. But I didn't see any shame or fear. What I see is that they, they hid from God and they were not guilty and not shameful. So one thing that they reacted to was trying to evade guilt by blaming others, trying to justify wrong behaviors. So we see that the eyes of Adam and Eve were indeed open, but to what? To see their own shame and ruin or to realize that the garments of heavenly light, which had been their protection, were no longer around them as their safeguard. Their eyes were open to see that nakedness was the fruit of transgression. As they heard God in the garden, they hid themselves from him for they anticipated that which till their fall, they had not known the condemnation of God. And so this is a quote from EGW, Conflict and Courage, January of 2014. And so what this means is the feeling of guilt has been something unusual since the first sin because we all have sinned. Sometimes we may feel guilty even when we are not actually guilty of circumstances. Yeah, like sometimes if I, if I go to the store and I have guests at my house like usually like if i have company over or something i go to the store and i forget you know to call and say oh okay what type of beverage did you want or did you want cheese on your sandwich or something like that i would feel guilty about it like oh dang i just left this store i forget to 
order this in the drive-thru. Let me call. Um, I'll go back to the store. It's just an automatic reaction to something that you felt that was wrong. But their reaction wasn't quite like that. And this is the way I analyzed it. This is the way the Holy Spirit led me to analyze Adam and Eve. Because it started with Adam and Eve. So the way that we react to the feeling of guilt determines our health to a great extent. Um, and so let's let's look here. They also the, this this slide also talks about Joseph Brothers lasting guilt. The feeling of guilt makes us regret what we did, fearing the consequences and blaming ourselves. So instead of okay, so let me bag up from this PowerPoint for a minute. If we feel the guilt, we will not blame other people because the guilt will allow us to feel regret. And so the regret will show us through the Holy Spirit how we should be accountable for that. So for instance, like I've always kind of like taking accountability for, you know, um, a lot of things that, that I have went through in my life. So for instance, if I have friends that are very deceiving, right? And these friends are not as honest with me as I like them to be. And so just say they betray me in some way. Their betrayal, I look at as being my fault. Because see, I allowed them to come into my life. I allowed them to stay in my life. Where was the red flags? Where were the triggers? What was I paying attention to? So it isn't anyone's fault that they stole from me. It was my fault that that person stole. They stole because, see, I allowed them to share in my company. When if I am the one that should have been alert, I should have been the one that should have been paying attention to what they were doing. So I take accountability for my actions. I take ownership, okay? It isn't, oh, well, this person stole from me. Yeah, they did steal from me, but I'm not going to be going around and saying it. I'm going to say, you know what? It's okay. It was my fault. I allowed them to be around me. I don't see one thing about me. I don't do any scapegoating or blaming. That isn't what God put us here for. We're not supposed to blame the next person for our actions or our decisions. Our actions is our actions. We have to take accountability for our actions. So for another example, so I had um, another person like really in my life that I, I mean, I, I thought was a real good friend of mine. She was. I mean, I let the, the girl, she came and she lived in my house and I trusted her. And But I mean, I, I wasn't really like too on alert for her because, you know, ultimately she ended up having intercourse with my ex-husband. And then ended up having a kid with him. And now they have two kids together. So was it my fault or was it her fault? Well, I'm not blaming her. I'm blaming myself. Because see, I allowed this person to come into my home. I allowed for her to come into my home without first seeking the approval of God. So that was my fault for doing that. It isn't 
her fault for having kids with my ex-husband. It's my fault that I allow her to come into my life. I allow her to live in my house without asking God's approval. So when we do things outside of the scope of what God wants, then we have to deal with the consequences that are associated with that. And so we can't blame other people for our choices or our decisions. It, it isn't her fault when it's within her nature to be like Adam and Eve and blame other people. It's within her nature to say, oh, okay, well, it was your husband. And then see, and then he's going to say, no, it was her. See, it's about the blaming of their actions. Instead of taking accountability, saying, okay, I participated in this. See, because we have to remember that you're partially wrong for your reaction and also for your part that you played in, in it. So, like, one of my cousins, too, right? My cousin is so interesting because I think I have a couple of cousins like this. They have chosen to have kids with a woman who those kids were not theirs. And it's like, okay, well, you, you see what type of woman she was. So who are you blaming? So you can't, you can't just abandon the girl because you need to take responsibility for what part you played in that situation so that means that even if that is not your child you still need to go get a dna test to validate if it's your child or if it's not your child it doesn't matter that she cheated on you cuz you know like that's you know like think about it you you know who you're talking about you know their behavior you know their patterns of um reactions and, and behavior uh so you should know their probability of what they're going to be doing. So you don't blame this part. Oh, you know, she slept with that guy. Okay, she slept with that guy. But did you not know that she was sleeping with gas before you dedicated five years of your life to her? Did you not know that? So we have to understand that. It isn't about blaming the other person uh, with this or that. It's really about saying, okay, well, you know, I have to take responsibility for my actions. And so if you, you slept with the girl, so what does that mean? You need to take a DNA test. So stick to the part that you're responsible for. There is a possibility that that still could be your child, right? Even though she said they even though she just told you that she was with someone else even though that information has been confirmed it doesn't matter you're responsible to take accountability for the partial part that you play so the possibility of you being the father So we have to just take accountability for our actions. It's like, seriously, we really do. And so like, that's, that's something that I've noticed, like in my life, one thing that I will not do is ever, ever blame anybody else for anything. I don't like blaming. I don't like scapegoating. 
Don't blame. You will never hear me say, oh, this is this person's fault that this happened. Because that's not a part of my vocabulary. And the reason why it's not is because if I do something that is incorrect or wrong, it is my fault. That means that if I build the wrong relationships, it is my fault. If I engage with the wrong network, it is my fault. If I make the wrong investment, it is my fault. If I, if I go to the wrong school, it is my fault. If I choose the wrong pastor to listen to, it is my fault. If I dedicate my time to the wrong job, it is my fault. There is no, oh, well, see, she did this and you know, like, I can't do this now. Or he did, I know, no, to know, to know, and to know again. You married that person, that was my, that was my fault. That wasn't his fault. It was my fault. It's not my network's fault. It's my fault. It wasn't, it, it wasn't the investor's fault. It was my fault for investing. It wasn't my friend's fault. It was my fault for trusting that friend. So there is no reason to blame anybody else for anything in your life. And so that's what we see Adam and Eve did. That's what we see with Joseph brothers. They all blame each other. People are always blaming other people. So when you avoid guilt and you avoid shame, that allows you to go and have repentance. Then you will find yourself blaming others. You'll find yourself being deceived. You'll find yourself um, in your feelings and being driven by your emotions. And then you'll find yourself lacking accountability and ownership. And it all starts with feelings. It all next is, is uh, deception. Fear, deception, lack of accountability and ownership. So if the guilt that you, if, if your heart is not feeling guilty, if your heart is not feeling shame on the inside, I'm not talking about a shame where you going out here and you getting embarrassed. We talking about a relationship, a humility, a humility in your mind. In your relationship with God, humility of the mind, humbleness. Without guilt and shame, you have no conviction. That means you have no reason to stop doing what you're doing. You have no reason to stop blaming others. You have no reason 
to take accountability and ownership. You have no reason to seek the truth instead of following all of these deceptive practices. There is no reason to want to hear the truth. So my friendships, my friendships, if they are good or bad, will be my fault. My investments, either good or bad, is my fault, not the investors. My network that I choose, either good or bad, will be my fault. So if your friend goes into the store and starts stealing while you're in there, you're accountable for who you walk with. If your friend is out here robbing people and you go to the club with them, guess what? You're accountable for who you hang with. Oh, it is. oh, you was out here doing that? That's why they was over there shooting at them people and they was shooting over there because you did that. Well, who is accountable for that? Them or you? Because I say it all the time. I'll tell you right now, I'm not standing around nobody for more than 10 minutes outside. I don't know what you have going on in your life. I haven't seen you haven't been around you i love you but i don't know what you're doing out here okay so in chicago there is a no standing zone policy because they shoot and they don't have no aim besides innocent people so like you we have to be accountable for who we hang with. We are accountable for who we engage with. We're accountable. We just have to be accountable. If you choose the relationship with that woman and that woman is doing way too much. She's so far away from God that she don't even pray. She don't even want to pray with you. And you choose that. Whose fault is it if it goes wrong? Hers or yours? Or which one do we know? The one that we always blame, people normally always just blame God. Even though God wasn't even included in the choice. It's See, God said pick blue and you looking at, you looking at the, 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 I like this red one. I'm going to just get the red one anyway. Even though God is standing right there telling you to pick the green apple, you picking the red one. And as soon as you bite and you get sick from it, like, oh, well, see, why you didn't listen? So people in our life can either cause stress, they can cause depression in your life. You know, and you you don't want to be around all of that because some people already come with a set of depress depression. They come with depression. They come with stress. They come in with all these anxieties. 
So now you around them and now you, you have to be subjected to this depression, stress, and anxiety. Because why you you chose it. So we have to really be cautious about what we choose. Cause some, like I said, people are walking around in real depression, in real stress, in real frustration and rage. And so, yes, we you can know a person for many years, but that doesn't mean nothing. You could know somebody for 25 years and, and still, they can still have frustration and rage in their heart and anguish in their heart. You don't know what other people made them feel like. You don't know. So, like, we, what we have to do is just be accountable for our responsibility partially saying okay well i partially contributed i listened to this investor you he gave me the wrong investment and i lost my money but guess whose fault is that you took a chance you made the wrong move so ultimately it would be who ding 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 your fault that's right so that's how we have to look at things so we just need repentance and forgiveness and in order for us to receive repentance and forgiveness we need to be able to look at the humility that comes along with you know uh having this humiliation in mind of the guilt and shame is like okay god i i i made the wrong choice don't let me do i don't want to do that again god please lead me in righteousness So this person that you you chose now, they're filled with depression and anxiety. And what do you think happens to you? You're going to have depression and anxiety. So I want to read this scripture, Psalm 32, 3 and 5. So let's go to your Bibles to Psalm 32, 3 and 5. So it says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my inequity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See? Hold on one second, everyone.
Thank you all so much for holding. I just had to take a little restroom break. Okay. So we see that in Psalm 32, 3 and 5, it says specifically in verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my inequity. So we see when you cover up your inequity, how do you do that? You do that when you blame other people. When you lack accountability, you lack ownership, you ignore the problem or you avoid it. So I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so until God can forgive the guilt of our sin, the way God forgives the guilt of our sins is through repentance. Repentance. So let's look at verse 11. I want to look at verse Psalm 32, verse 11. It says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous sing, all you who are upright in heart. So we see God wants us to be upright. He wants us to be able to really, really focus on repentance. So there is guilt associated with sin. But if you, what, what happens is that when you ignore, see, I, I think I should do a separate podcast on guilt and sin. I think that's what the Lord is telling me. Because this is kind of, uh, this is guilt. Guilt and sin. So I think I'm going to create a podcast specifically on guilt and sin okay um let me try to move forward here and so looking at um judas we see his adverse action right he was he he was desperate his guilt the his guilt Cause him to do some things. So guilt, it should lead us to repentance. That's what guilt is supposed to do. It should lead us to having repentance for God. Um, We also see that in Peter, he betrayed God. He went from guilt to repentance. Okay. So we see in Psalm 103 and verse 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is a fact. Psalm 103 and 12. This is a fact. So once, once God has removed your transgressions. It is so far away from you. Too far away. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So the way your transgressions get removed um, is through repentance. 
See, you get the salvation through your faith in God. But your transgressions is removed through repentance. So your so guilt should lead you to having repentance in your heart. So these feelings that you have, like, you know, feelings, if feelings are driving you, then it could lead you to blaming others. It would also lead you to being deceived. It would lead you to having a lack of accountability and ownership. Uh, it also leads you to avoidance and ign ignoring things that you need to acknowledge. Instead of, instead of handling things head on, now you're ignoring them. You're avoiding you're having an avoidance personality. So God wants us to fully understand, as he said in his word in Psalms 103 verses, um, verses uh, 5 through 11. That we are to lay out our um, transgressions before him. So that is what God wants us to do. And that's, that is what we need to be doing. Okay. So I wanted to talk about here. Um, there was, let's see. Okay. So I want to look at the Hebrew word. So the Hebrew word, um, for guilt, it is pronounced, uh, Ashem, Ashem. We see this word in Leviticus five and verse 19. Okay. It says, now remember, the first five books of the Bible is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so this is the Torah, right? And so the Torah is considered the law. And so in Leviticus 5.19, it says, it is a guilt offering. He had certainly trespassed against the Lord. And if we go to Genesis 6 and 6, it says, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart so when we look at the word asham it means guilt okay and so we see that there is a hebrew distinction between guilt and regret so with guilt you withdraw and you never move forward so you never re-establish your relationship with god guilt holds a person back regrets god forgives you so you can move forward and learn from your mistake the continuing feelings of regret will will just remind you to never commit that sin again so it's important to associate this shame and, and guilt to disallow you from continuing on in that process so as i said before it, it wouldn't be the investor's fault if i made the wrong investment it isn't my friend's fault that I chose them and they would betray me. It isn't their fault. It isn't my spouse's fault that I chose a man that didn't believe in God. It isn't anyone else's fault besides my own. So we don't scapegoat and blame other people. But, you know, it's like the guilt from those relationships or the guilt of making the wrong investment. It can have like, you know, you, you can feel uncertain. But that doesn't mean that you blame other people. I can't blame the investor for making the wrong investment because it was ultimately my fault. So without guilt and without shame, that means you will continue on doing 
and practicing in all of these wrongs. So you need the guilt associated with feeling shame in order for you to turn away and do the right thing. So if you don't have conviction in your heart, that means that you'll continue on in that process. And why or how will you be able to move forward in your life if you're always lacking the ability to have accountability and ownership? So our guilt to sin is something that we all should be experiencing. If you don't feel ashamed about what you're doing in your life, then you'll keep on doing it. If you don't feel ashamed from not having a job and being a beggar, you want to be a beggar, then you'll just keep on being a beggar because you're not guilty about being a beggar. You're not guilty about not having a job. You're not being productive enough to associate your skills to get a job. So you're sitting back thinking, okay, well, can't get a job. So you're not even utilizing the skills that is needed for you to get the job in the first place. So it's 24 hours in a day. How are you utilizing your time? You should have just as many jobs calling you every hour upon every hour until you get a job. Every working hour, that is, right? <laughs> So we need to be making sure that we can experience the feelings of um, guilt, all right? Because it leads us to practicing repentance. Do you feel bad about the way you talk to other people? Do you feel shame or do you feel guilty about you being emotionally numb to others? If you don't feel numb, if you don't feel guilty, then you'll continue to do it. You don't feel guilty about being a thief and stealing from your family. You'll continue stealing. You're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Because you don't feel guilt. So I wanted to um, sort of shift focus and talk about the anthropology of guilt. And so there's an article. This is an article that has been published in the National Library of Medicine for, at the uh, National Center for Biotechnology Information. And the title is The Origins of Jewish Guilt, Psychological, Theological, and Cultural Perspective. And so basically the idea that guilt and Judaism are closely interlinked has a um long historical um background and so when we think of this anthropology um so anthropology is basically like the science of studying humans it's basically the complete understanding of humans and why why humans behave and act the way that they do that's anthropology it's the science behind studying humans and so we look at this sort of um, intersect of anthropology and emotion that is associated with shame and guilt, right? In this article, and it places emphasis, basically is focusing on shame and guilt. And they examine three different types of theories. So the first one is the psychoanalytical. The next one is the theological. 
And the next, the third is guilt as a cultural stereotype, particularly the notion of the Jewish mother. So you have um, the religion, guilt, Judaism, and stereotypes. So I wanted to just briefly go over some of these. All right. So it says here, um, we can assume that what biblical scholars identify as guilt in the Old Testament text is the same as our contemporary emotion labeled guilt. Um, so what they're saying here is that they're, they are correlating. They are saying that the Old Testament in our modern culture is similar in our emotion to guilt. But I would have to defer. I would dissent on that, meaning that I disagree with that um, only because I believe um, just based off of research, which is like thorough analysis of the word of God and being guided by the Holy Spirit, not a research article per se. Um, I would say that guilt in those days is a different type of guilt that we see today. As crime increases, so do the emotional numbness of criminals. So the more pain we experience, the more depths of pain that people endure, um, it creates this numbness. So for instance, like just say uh, 80 years ago, you're not going to see a person, you know, maybe get shot in front of you. But now in today's society, with crime being as widespread as it is, you might end up seeing a person get shot. Or you're going to hear about it on the news quite frequently more than you were hearing about these type of events 80 years ago. And I'm not saying that they're like predisposed in a way where they didn't take place or um, like the stories wasn't being covered. What I'm saying is as the population increases, so does the crime rate and other things. And so as the population increases, now you have more engagement with people. Thus, you are going to experience more um, indifferences. It isn't always going to be cultural convergence. Everyone isn't going to agree with your traditions or your belief system or the way that you were raised, right? So as the population increases, it impacts our overall quality of life and the way that we engage or disengage with other people. And so I wouldn't agree with the fact that, you know, the Old Testament is um, similar to the way our modern day of guilt would be labeled. It, it isn't the same. It's different. And so um, so they, they are a, a, analyzing the different cultural um, emphasis of shame and guilt. To the different extincts of Japan, for example, is a shame culture. So the United States is a guilt culture. So we look at this sort of collectivistic culture and we analyze the fundamental of uh, individuals to each other. For example, by valuing and attending to other people or fitting in is sort of like a harmonious experience for some people, right? But in contrast to that, like so in comparison to that, you see that there are individuals that are individualistic and they maintain those type of cultures, which are like self-driven. Right. And they are also like self-discovering and expressing their unique inner internal attributes and qualities. So you have this collectivism 
and you have this individualism. And both of those are different types of cultures. So in order to understand shame and guilt with both, you have to understand, okay, so are they coming from more of a broadened scope of understanding the fundamental abilities of how we all relate to each other? Because some people are always self-driven and that's going to be more of an individualistic type of approach versus someone who's always concerned about other people. So for instance, I was talking to a, um, somebody today um, and we were having like a text back and forth about, you know, our communication. And so I know like usually we have conversations that like his conversations, I think, are, are somewhat collective and also individualistic, but more so individualistic when it pertains to culture. So, yes, he have this sort of like collective um, fundamental approach to how our culture relates. But outside of the scope of culture. Then it's more individualistic. So how are we perceiving others when it comes to our guilt and shame? So it's it's like if we're going to look at anthropology from the lens of like guilt and shame, we have to first understanding, are we perceiving others from a collective lens or from an individualistic lens? Are you concerned about, you know, the relatableness that you have with other people? outside of your culture because if you don't then most likely you probably are a pretty motivated person but if you do care about all of that you are probably still a, a independent motivating person the difference is is that many times people have this sort of guilt and shame approach to blaming others for their lives like, oh, you know, see, the white man did this, so we can't do that. Oh, you know, those black people, they, they always make an excuse. They, they always want to bail out. Why do blacks always need bailouts? And then you have, you have other people that saying like, see, they came over here and stole our land. Like, for instance, I just recently noticed. There is an indigenous people day. And then there's Christopher Columbus day on the same day. So how ambiguous is that? It's like, okay, they're trying to reclaim what was theirs. So you have Christopher Columbus day and you have indigenous people day. So who is really speaking? It's like, okay, Christopher Columbus Day still stand and now they've ignited this new holiday. Well, I don't know when did it started. I think last year, maybe, or a couple years ago. But just moving forward from that, it's like, okay, how are, are, are they looking at it from, you know, like, could the people that continue to support this pagan holiday... I mean, because if we think about Christopher Columbus, for instance, I just want to 
do like a, just a sidetrack, right? We see that he actually murdered children, indigenous children for copper tokens. He would pay his soldiers copper tokens just to go and murder indigenous children. So what I've learned from Christopher Columbus is that, that basically you can have sovereignty over any place as long as you had a strong military. And if we were to compare like sovereign power in gangs, for instance, for maybe about the people who are in gangs, you think about your chief. And then think about your gang members. Those are the soldiers. That's the military. So anytime you have a leader in a strong military, people that support you in numbers, then now you have sovereignty. You have the power to do whatever you need to do to overthrow any and all people. But the number one thing you need is weaponry. So although, you know, Christopher Columbus did all of that. Yeah, he had the military and he had the copper tokens. One thing he, he needed was those weapons. And that is how he defeated the indigenous population. See, they had spears and he had weapons, weaponry. So when we think about all of these things, we have to say, okay, well, he came and, you know, he violated their space and their land. But it's still being celebrated today. So who do we sort of shift the guilt or shame too. Is it the people that continue to allow this pagan holiday to continue to exist? Or do we like sort of look at the guilt and shame of what the indigenous population allowed to take place for so long? They are finally having a holiday. This is great for them, right? Collectively, it is. But when is enough is enough, right? So we we have to say, okay, look, this, this isn't right. We all need to collectively stand up, not just to say that we're going to look at our collectivistic culture and say, well, it's fundamental for me and my culture to stand up to having values and attending to each other's values. But it isn't okay to go outside of the scope of that. Because see, one thing that I've noticed is in this lifetime that, you know, what happens to one person, you might as well consider for all. If one group of people are treated unequal, the entire group of people will be treated unequal. It isn't about the inequality any, anymore. It's really mainly about inequity. Because race doesn't really matter. It's the inequity that separates everyone now. It doesn't matter about if you're indigenous or if you're Hispanic or African-American or Asian. We are all minorities. Well, at least that's what the Census Bureau say. Every year when they misreport or misrepresent statistics for the minority population that they've admitted to so many times now. What can we do about that? You know, so it isn't about, you know, us having the shame and guilt 
from just this collective type of approach. I believe um, in like cross-cultural studies. This is something that we need to be looking at the behavioral, the behavioral consequences of what can take place from having these individualistics and uh, collective cultures. Because there are consequences to these type of behavior norms or cultural norms, whatever way you want to put it. So like what happens is you have these type of interdependent promotions of self that is going away from our um, collective culture. That is doing what? It is causing segregation again. So why aren't people feeling guilt from creating these segregations? So how are you participating in segregation? How are you participating in inequity? For not just of the minority of your own culture, but the minority of everyone, of all the minorities. So I they they talk about like um the psychoanalysis, psychoanalytical um stages of development. I don't really like Sigmund Freud or feudism, however you would like to call his psychoanalysis. Um uh, many people they speculate, they say that it's good. Some people say that it isn't. I don't think that it is a functional analysis. So I believe it contradicts too many of the biblical prophecies and the um the Torah. And so I don't agree with it. I think it's a foolish ideology. Okay. Um, but many people they do. Many psychologists, they they really like the psychoanalysis of, of Sigmund Freud. And I, I just don't. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, I I've talked about this on the other podcast. Uh what was it? Uh Love, hate, and benevolent. So if you want to go back and listen to that, I have a lot of hours on that podcast too. Then and I've actually written about the Sigmund Few psycho um analytical um analysis, but I just don't agree with it. All right. I don't agree with the hypothesis behind it or anything about it. Okay. So main reason, for instance, that he says in one of because I think it's like eight different stages of psychoanalytic development. And it starts from the time that you're born. And basically, when that happens, it, it demonstrates in your behavior as you get older. So if you're not being provided with food at an early age of your um, early stages of development, what happens is you you miss your um, the feeding that you need to be that person. So, the you know, so if you're not orally fed physically then what happens is that you grow up in life and you are always kind of like desiring um a companion. It, it, so it talks about a lot of different a lot of different um attributes that take place when you're not sustained at the early stages of development. And so I just think it is a in, in straight contradiction of the Torah and I don't agree with it. Okay? And um, moving on, though, um, when we think about guilt and religion, we have to think about how guilt, religion and psychology meet. Right. And so this article really tries to talk about the subjectiveness.
so the subjective phenomenon basically they're saying the biases okay these pre-existing thoughts that you feel about religion and guilt what do you think about religion and guilt some people go out here for me i i, I can say what i think um i believe specifically that people use religion as a way to be radical so god isn't a god of confusion and religion causes confusion and um many individuals try to what do they 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 try to justify their behaviors of radicalism by their religion and they justify it through their religion and I don't think that's the purpose that it's meant to, to act on. So we have um, basically this increasing in individual lace, uh, individualization of different um, cultures of people that continues to link their um, pre-existing thoughts and beliefs to their cultural norms. And sometimes, like, for instance, when you're like, I have a bunch of friends that are foreigners. And so these friends, they're not going to like the friends that I know that are like from different um, countries and stuff. Many of them, when they like have kids here and stuff, they children become Americanized. And so they become a part of like the Americanized culture. And so they are practicing and like this transformation of culture from their the their teachings at home their regular cultural norms to now this american cultural norm so you have this uh individualization of individuals that are transforming to a culture that's outside of their cultural norms and that is considered cultural convergence but in order to have the transformation from shame and guilt culture meaning the shame and guilt of this culture is what i explained earlier simply what what did adam and eve do adam god was looking for adam in the garden of eden not eve he was looking for adam and so adam did what he hid Adam hid in the garden. We see this, right? We see this in verse what verse is that? Um, in verse eight. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God took call to the man, where are you? So he 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 answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He was afraid. And we see that fear, this fear is caused by aversion a feeling so we see that feelings are enacted in this situation and so this culture that we're living in of shame and guilt isn't a feeling that that creates remorse for our for their actions it doesn't it doesn't create conviction in their heart like oh i was wrong i was wrong about this we see adam wasn't wrong he was afraid because he was naked not because he was afraid because he had did something wrong it wasn't that type of shame and guilt so when we think about the 
um, anthropology of shame and guilt of this culture today. It isn't the shame and guilt of doing something wrong. It's the shame and guilt like, oh, I got caught. So I'm wrong. So he doesn't he doesn't deal with the situation correctly. He also, he's not accountable. He's lacking ownership and accountability because he's not like, oh God, I messed up. I ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. He's not acknowledging what he did was wrong. He's simply saying, oh, I hid because I was afraid. I was naked. So I'm, I'm afraid because I get caught. These feelings, the, uh, the feeling of aversion is taking place here. So feelings, when people are driven by their feelings, this, uh, this culture that is maintaining the shame and guilt, their feelings of shame and guilt isn't going to be directed towards themselves. It's going to be directed towards everyone else. So they didn't finish high school because of their teacher. It was their math class. You know, they couldn't graduate college because they professor was both. You know, the marriage didn't turn out right because your husband committed infidelity. Or your wife just, she committed infidelity. It wasn't because you didn't you didn't notice the signs or red flags or it's always about this culture of shame and guilt that is emphasized on others rather than self motivated. So yes, we we um see this sort of like anthropology uh anthropology of shame and guilt in culture, but we we're seeing that people lack accountability. And it, it just, it started in the Torah with Adam. So he says down here in verse 12, look, it's what it goes, verse 11, in verse 11, it says, who told you that you were naked? Let's look at that. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So I'm trying to go back. Okay, going. So have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? He doesn't answer God. He ignores that question. And he says, well, the woman you put me here, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. But God asked him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to? He never answers the question about who told him that he were naked. Never, not once. So we see that this avoidance is taking place. And that's the same thing, a part of this shame and in guilt culture. Avoidance. We see that with like what I was talking about yesterday with Bill Clinton. It took Bill Clinton was president, I think, in 1996. How many presidents was here before him? Like 40 or more. He's the first president to acknowledge that slavery was a sin. It was wrong. None of his peers before him were able to do that. That's avoidance. 
So you see people in Congress, a lot of bills that are not getting passed to benefit the people of this country. Why? Because of the gradual process of avoidance that is continuing to dominate society. So in order for us to be able to transform from this culture of uh, shame, of guilt, and society today we need to be able to understand what and how we are contributing to its efforts how are you contributing to maintaining the efforts of shaming you in this society are you blaming other people Are you blaming other people for the reason why your culture or our culture is the way that it is this way? See, I have to go back to the principles of God again. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. So I'm going to go here and I'm going to explain what God told me. And, and this, this may not be um, something that everybody wants to hear. But this is necessary. So in Hosea 4 and 6, it says that my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. So let me explain this. So a lack of knowledge, it means a fool in Hebrew. You are a fool if you have lack of knowledge. So a fool is someone with a lack of knowledge, a lack of wisdom, a lack of spiritual common sense. So you have all of this lack of. So people are destroyed. People lack. People die because of a lack of knowledge. So this means... That it doesn't matter about what my culture is. It didn't say, uh, my cultural died because of a lack of knowledge. It didn't say my enemies died because of a lack of knowledge. It didn't say people in another race died because of a lack of knowledge. It doesn't say, you know, like all gang members died because of a lack of knowledge. All thieves died because of a lack of knowledge. That's not what it says. And so since we read the word of God through exegesis, which is looking at the word of God from a hermeneutic perspective, meaning that we're going to look at the word of God exactly the way that it says. We're not going to formulate our own opinions about it. Because guess what that does? That's called, that's called eisegesis. And that causes confusion when you're doing that. So it says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. So it's another scripture that I want to go to. And then I just want to, you know, look at these two scriptures and cross-reference them because they are, they can be used interchangeably. Okay. So Romans chapter one, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, 
his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse so people if a person don't know they they still without excuse i am without excuse if i choose the wrong marriage i'm without excuse that means that i did something and i didn't seek the approval of god so when we're going through our situations in life and god is saying look pick the green apple and you pick the red one see god is telling us to pick the green apple not the red apple he's saying like look i'm giving you all the tools that you need to be victorious but now you're about to make the wrong investment so if you invest in the wrong thing, guess what's going to happen? Who are you going to blame? Because in, in the anthropology of shame and guilt of this culture, they're going to blame the investor. You gave me the wrong advice. You told me to do this. You told me where the stop loss was at. You told me where to put my money. You said this. No, 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 no. Guess what? You should be accountable for your actions you chose that investment you chose to take your money out your account and, and invest it you chose to spend time with a woman that you didn't spend 10 years with and having went 100 feet ahead you chose that man that put you 50 steps behind in life we are the ones that choosing these things If I choose a friend that steals from me, I chose that friend. Why didn't I see the triggers? Why didn't I see the signs? Did I include God in that situation? How are we including God in our relationships, in our friendships, in our partnerships, in our network? You can't blame anyone else just because the anthropology, uh, anthropology of shame and guilt of this culture says blame other people. Well, it says Congress that did it. No, uh-uh, see, it's Hamas. It's Hamas. Other people, no, 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 see, it's Israel. Yeah, no, no, no. See, China is doing something. So, so there is them. It's Russia. It's, it's all Ukraine. Uh-uh, no, no, no. It's Russian soldiers. Like, who wants to hear all of this blame? we don't blame other people why because we're accountable for our actions see one thing that we notice in the garden of eden is this that feelings were introduced to them these feelings led eve to believing that it was okay for her to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil simply because it was desirable for wisdom and it was pleasing to her eye so we as women should know, look, don't let we're not gonna choose nothing because we're enticed bad. I don't care how much you have. That don't mean I'm attracted to you. That don't mean that I will marry you. That don't mean that I I want you because of your socioeconomic status, sir. So we see feelings was introduced. Fear was also introduced. Fear of aversion, fear of 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 just unwillingness. Fear is an unwillingness to do something. So you see this fear, feelings, 
And then you also see deception. Oh, see, it was the serpent that 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 told her to do it. See, it was her conversation with the serpent. It was her feelings that of what she was thinking was gonna be okay. She blamed the serpent. He the man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent. The serpent deceived her. So they want to just blame everybody else and don't take accountability. So whose fault is it why your life is the way that it is? It was that 10-year relationship. It was your friends who went in stealing because you walked in the store with a bunch of thieves and now it's, your, it's their fault, not yours. You're not responsible for who you walk with. You're not responsible for who you go to the club with. You're not responsible for who you date. It's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. So we have to take accountability for our actions, but I'm at the two hour mark. Okay. So I want to let you all know, thank you so much for joining me today. I'll continue on um, in the discussion on Sunday. Sunday will be um, Sunday prayer line. Sending your prayer requests to um, laws like help at suddenchangescorporation.org. Also, um, if you're interested in, you know, um, becoming an author or volunteering, please send your request to info at suddenchangescorporation.org. So let me go ahead and pray. Father God, we come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full time in our life. Thank you for allowing us to reciprocate your word. God, pivot us exactly what we need to be positioned and orchestrate what needs to take place in our life so that we're living a life that is fulfilling to you. God, we ask that you will uproot all of the evil or wickedness in our heart. Anything that is in us that offends you or disobedient to you, God, take it up out of us and uproot it from the root and seal it with your blood so those things will not re-enter in our heart, God. Embed your word in our heart and fill us up with the things that are pleasing and satisfying to you god convict our hearts for any and all things that is displeasing and dissatisfying to you and let us repent and turn away god let us let guilt and shame fill us up when we're sinning so that we can turn away and repent and then follow you god you say that if we submit our will to you that the devil will flee from us so god we thank you right now that we submit our will to you we ask that you continue to keep our hearts in in mind